coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio. It's Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by IDS, an award-winning digital marketing agency that delivers integrated marketing solutions for franchisers, franchisees, and franchise development teams. Learn why over 75 brands depend on IDS's team of dedicated marketers and client service professionals to deliver a strong ROI on their marketing investment. Go to IDSFranchiseMarketing.com for a complimentary digital audit and consultation. Welcome back, everybody, to Franchise Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Rob Ganley, and today we're excited to explore the intersection of company culture with success, with financial success. Joining me today is a seasoned expert in this field. His name is Bob Weisler, author of Culture to Cash and founder of C2C Consulting. Now, with his rich background in operations management and in franchising, uh, Bob has a wealth of experience in this area, and I can't wait to dive in and learn more. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you doing this. You got it. You got it. It's good to have you here. And Definitely a topic that I think is threaded in every conversation I have. So this is uh, as far as franchise conversations, especially on the show here. I always talk about brand and, and culture and, and how important that is to really, yeah, it's one of those secret hidden, I don't know if it's hidden, but it's one of those secret details that many times is the reason why these brands become so prevalent in our lives. But anyway, it's great to have you here. Uh, tell me a little bit about you know how this works. You know, how, explain how culture does link to success in a in a how how does culture impact financial success? First of all, you know th- the timing couldn't be better because you know this coming Sunday as we as we talk about this is is the big game and 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 perfect example of that is when teams win the big game. Uh, you'll hear a lot about the culture mm-hmm. about how important the culture is in the locker room in the organization. And conversely, as eight coaches found their way to the unemployment line after the season, you also hear about culture and how they have to change the culture or the culture needs to get better or how bad the culture was. So it, like you said, it, it's all around us. We, we really hear about it a lot and it's really important. Your question is a great question. It's how do you make the culture come to life and make sure that actions and behaviors, which is really what culture is all about is, is what are the actions you see? What are the behaviors that are displayed in your tribe? I call them tribes, whether it's your company, your organization, but your tribe that really should lead to prosperity. And, and I don't use profitable or profits. I use prosperity because it's a holistic, profitable top line approach. Hear me talk a lot about the labor of the fruit. A lot of companies talk about the fruit of the labor. In other words, what kind of harvest do we get? I talk a lot about the labor of the fruit. What goes into really those actions and behaviors that should get you predictable outcomes for a prosperous harvest? So one of the examples of this when you talk about what leads to profits is is the high costs of turnover in any organization, whether it's the hospitality organization, our industry, or the industrial industry, it doesn't matter. The high cost of turnover is ridiculous. And and I don't even use the word turnover. I use the word retention. Uh, And the reason I do that is turnover deals with what you lose and retention deals with what you gain or what you are able to to hold on to, uh, to make you you prosperous. So we talk about a lot about that in, in pillar three of Culture to Cash, our book, which is out on Amazon. Um, it's a great, easy read, um, but it talks a lot about there are seven pillars that lead to sustainable prosperity and in, in dealing with how should culture lead to cash. And, and the number two in that, by the way, is our goal in helping you is to get 2% more prosperous. So if you're looking at a $2 million revenue stream, you know, how, how are we able to help you get $40,000 more in, in bottom line uh, return on investment or more and then sustain it and grow it every year? So um, so retention is really critical. And that's one perfect line. The, the, there's other ways. Turnover costs you a lot in sales. Um, it costs you in efficiency and effectiveness. So being able to retain talent and grow and develop them from inside upward um, instead of outside inward is really, really key to part of that. So that's one really key example of how we can help you grow your prosperity and the important that culture plays in that. 
I know it's it's a it's a tall order. Like as you were talking there, you were touching on a couple areas of your book, and which is the you know, contains a lot of the frameworks and principles. And I think there's some simplicity there, uh, but but a lot more complexity. So I'm going to ask you to can you simplify exactly in culture to cash? What what are those principles? Like is it something you can distill? That is, if you just summarize, what what is that? What are the what is the summary of those things that you think are most important that well, would get well, the, a franchise on the right track, going yeah. in the right direction? The 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 first thing, um, which is really critical, and and it's in pillar six um, mm-hmm. of the seven pillars, is what I call the culture conflicts, um, mm-hmm. and, and how they happen, how they occur, and it really goes back to the first. Uh, the very first pillar, and the first pillar is helping chiefs, whether it's a chief executive officer, an owner, a franchisor organization, you know, whoever makes the decision and write out the check is the chief. And it's right. really helping the chief really understand what I call the culture statement. Other people call it, the, you know, mission statement, purpose statement, but it's really having a, a clear vision painted for the tribe that deals with the culture statement. And, you know, it doesn't need to be a paragraph. It doesn't need to, you know, you're not reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, but it needs to be something where people understand what the chief wants to achieve. So it starts with the culture statement. And in the culture statement, we help chiefs understand what I call personal nouns. And when I call them personal nouns, they're personal to them. They, they are the shepherd. They have to be the, the keeper of the culture. Um, and, and through their boards or organization, you know, organizational charts, you have many elders, which I call elders, the, the lead, the leadership team. They can go out and shepherd the tribe, but the chief has to be the one that drives it. And, um, and so helping them understand the, what are the key personal nouns and the definitions of that personal noun. So in, for instance, Rob, if you say, one of the things you're passionate about in your tribe is I want loyalty. It's important mm-hmm. to have loyalty. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? You're the chief. What does that mean to you? And then getting your um, elders on board with that, synced up with that, so that when they go out and deal with the tribe, they're talking about loyalty, okay? And they're mm-hmm. talking about a clear, synced up vision and meaning of what loyalty means to the chief, not what loyalty means to them, or not paraphrasing it, or coming up with an interpretation. It, it, it is your constitution and and how you drive that. So helping, and it, and it can be three, four, five personal nouns, but what do you really want to see when you go into your tribe? And what are they, how are they acting and how are they behaving to make sure that that's coming to life? And that's that's the key thing. So going back to real quick retention, you know, retention can cost for the Center of Hospitality Research example is retention can cost you $5,800 a year when you lose a, a frontline employee, a frontline tribe member. So if you were running 150 percent, you know, turnover retention issue in your tribe and you had 40 members in your tribe, well, you're going to turn 60 team members a year. I mean, that's insane. And at $5,000 a piece. So, so helping that. So in regards to the culture statement, okay, and what we do with that, um, what what astounded me in research, doing a lot of research for the culture to cash book is um, it's amazing in a, in a 2017 study um, by, by um, the board agenda and Mars, Mazars, I'm sorry, Mazars, they found that only 43% say that culture is rarely discussed in board meetings. They, they also found that only 20% of respondents to the survey, the study, fully considered their culture in making decisions. And then only 5% are very confident that their desired culture aligns with their actual culture. That, so that's just amazing that, you know, you can spend 30, 40, 50, 60, $100,000 on 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 consultants to come in and help you with your personal your you know your your uh, uh, mission statement you know but once that's done the head tribe elders only talk about it for in 43 percent of their meetings they only yeah. 
consider it 20% of the time. So this is, this is to me is where the big disconnect comes from is, is what you put on a wall. If you don't have a jump off the wall and come into your tribe and people act like it and, and behave like it, what you're hanging on your wall is artwork, it's, yeah. it's, but artwork. So, so getting, how do you uh, align behaviors and actions? Okay. And I'll give you an example in the, in the food industry. All right. A frontline employee doesn't care about food costs. They, they very seldom know what their food cost is. They don't understand what food costs, even the math behind food costs sometimes. But what they do understand is the importance of building a product correctly, following a recipe, okay? And the importance of follow. So if I teach that frontline employee the importance of building a product right, following the recipes with portion controls, that's the actions and behaviors you want to see displayed. Because if they do that right, theoretically, they're building a product that says this product should cost me $2.50 to build, and I should be able to sell it for 10 bucks. That's a 25% food cost. They don't need to understand the 25% food cost. I mean, right. if you want to take them down that path, you can. But what they do need to understand if you want to see culture come to life is the importance of the amount of ounces that go into that product. When do you add those ounces? How do you deliver those ounces? Okay, is that product not only built correctly, but is it the product that the customer ordered? So all of those things are behaviors and actions that are really important to food costs. Right, right. Okay. Is there is there a strategic if we go up a, a layer or two, like if you um, think about that employee in that brand, assuming it's a franchise brand, um, if you go up a couple layers, what kind of culture do you need for people to care about the smaller details? You might say, well, portion control and you know, following recipes is down at the low level. And people, in order for people to execute well and care to execute well, I'm sure that has to do with culture and mindset. So how do you tie that together? How do you keep it simple? So do you have an example of like where you start? Like, like it's got to be somewhat simple for everybody to kind of say, I know there's three words about my brand that really define it. And I can remember those three words. That's kind of what I mean. Is there something you install sort of like integrity, honesty, like where you install these sort of this foundation so that when you start to look at the actions and the behaviors, people do it with the right attitude. It's That's a great question. And really one of the things that I would encourage chiefs and their elders to do is, is, a, is a couple things. The fir first thing is whether it's on a three by five card and a laminated card, something when the chief goes into the tribe, okay, they, they should stay focused on those things. And it's, and sometimes it's hard because you get into, you get into a, um, a the tribe and you become very reactionary. Okay, here's what I see. I got to coach right away. I got to correct right away. I got to, you know, and 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 so it's easy to become unfocused, or it's easy to become focused on what's wrong versus what is right. Okay, very reactionary, and it's a mindset that we start with when it comes to P and L management. And for instance, P and L is a history. Okay, I have January's P and L. Well, guess what? It's March. Okay, so you're reacting to six week old data. Okay, so and it's not that that's not important. However, it's six week old data, and it doesn't deal with today's actions and behavior. So we get into this reactionary loop. My suggestion is is, is to address that 25% of the time. But 75% of the time, talk about what you want to see come to life in your tribe with the elders, when you're doing visits together, when you're out in the tribe together, when the elders come back and you're not with them, teach, coach, quiz them about what they saw, how they led the team, the tribe, and in regards to those those cultural statement nouns, what are the actions and behaviors, and then do a do a, a survey with the tribe because here's what happens, Rob: the chief goes into the tribe. And the chief spends an hour, two hours, three hours in the tribe. And, th and then they leave. In that three-hour time frame, if you took and, and interviewed the tribe and asked them just two simple questions, 
what's important to the chief? How does that line up with the culture? So what you just saw in the last three hours being with the chief, take that away, reflect on it. What three things did the chief leave you with that is important to them? You know, okay, because the chief came in, they displayed actions and behaviors, okay? The tribe witnessed it, okay? And you can say, okay, what three things do you think based on this visit is important to the chief? Yeah. Okay. Now, so, line, so line what you're up. saying, though, if I could just inject, yeah. if what what you're saying is culture today is kind of overlooked a bit. It, it, you know, most of the brands, uh, it's sort of maybe if they do kind of put a vision and a mission statement together, it's become something that most don't think about regularly. Um, I want to ask a little bit about you know this idea of permeating you know this culture throughout the organization and how that gets done. And you had mentioned earlier about people kind of saying the same thing, right? Like, and you're saying it earlier, you just said it. You said, well, if I ask somebody, how did the chief, you know, what was the example of how what he just did connects to culture? And if you don't really understand the key, what you're focused on, what you're about, what the brand is, then, and, and how do you get someone to answer that question, Right. So before we get into a little bit more with how you best permeate this cultural change, what are some of the symptoms? And I think the more important thing here is what are the symptoms? Because there seems to be more brands that are focusing. And I can tell you that as a consultant in the technology field and marketing field, um, one of the big problems is communication. It, it is expectation. It's um, I'm not getting what I thought I would, right? Or this isn't working the way I would anticipate. There's a lot of, you know, difficulty with the brand and the franchisee communicating well a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I got to believe culture has almost everything to do with this. Mm -hmm. um, tell me the symptoms and then tell me a little bit of if you do put cultural change in place, what are you measuring? I'm assuming you're measuring the symptoms. They're going away. But what else? So to start with the symptoms, and then once you do implement, how do you measure and, and that progress? Yeah, that's that's uh, that is really nailing it because it is there are symptoms without a doubt, and and we have a simple process in culture to cash called the EAT process. E A T. It's an acronym, and it really stands for okay. Symptoms are related to what's been taught or what's been understood to be a standard of some kind, whether it's a written standard, an accepted standard, or just a neglected standard that now has become approved because nobody's addressed it. So it really starts with communication comes in, in many aspects. So visual is a big part of it, right? Um, so we look at really trying to align those things with the culture, what culture you want. And, and we go through eat, which is E means you eliminate this thing. So what I'm looking at is not aligned to the culture. So let's get rid of it. Let's let's eliminate it. Okay. Or this is acceptable to the culture. So that's the A. So let's accept that and let's make sure it's it's posted prominently as a teaching guide. Or then we have to to transitionalize it or or tweak it as I call it for the T. And that is, yeah, this is a good tool. I think we need to change one or two words to make sure we are consistent with the culture. Um, and, and so that's really important. So those symptoms come alive in many aspects. Um, and, and they really usually manifest themselves in what I call conflicts, culture conflicts. And that we talk about that in, in pillar six to where you, here's what you want from a culture standpoint, but here's what you have set up that is driving behaviors and actions. And one of those things can be something like a bonus system, okay? So we say we want this as part of our culture. However, we, we're rewarding people on this. And it, in those split seconds of decisions that lead to actions, we are pitting our frontline employees, our elders, in a situation where it says, okay, I can act this way and take care of the culture and lose a bonus potentially. Or I can act this way to earn a bonus, and but it's not necessarily in, in, in aligned with the culture. It happens all the time in organizations, um, and and that's just one symptom. Okay, I say I want to build 
I say I want to build transactions and market awareness in my trade area. So taking care of the consumer, the guest, the customer is really, really important. However, my bonus system is based on profits and loss. And a customer comes in with an expired coupon. Do I take that and take money out of the top end of the sale, which affects my food costs, which affects my bonus? Potentially, when you're the coupon police, as we call them, you are pitting yourself against the customer. That's not exactly going to help you build market awareness and grow consumer transactions. So my culture says I want to be there for the customer. I want to exp- I want to make sure we grow sales. I want to make sure we grow transactions. But I have a bonus system that rewards me for not really taking care of the consumer or the customer. So that's a that's a symptom that happens, and it happens many ways: food costs, bonus structures, uh, 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 bonus bonus structures is one case. Um, how I set up equity sharing programs is another case. How I teach and train people. So, you know, again, uh, we talked about training and building a product. So the product is supposed to be built this way, okay, to make sure we hit the right touchables for the consumer. It tastes great. It looks great. And it should hit our food cost target, right? However, you get a you get a trainer in your tribe and they say, don't build it that way. This way's easier, quicker, and faster, and and no, nobody knows. Well, what happens is one or two of those steps affects the cost, affects the taste, the flavor, the look of the product. So that's a okay. symptom. I sit there and say I'm going to do it because it's quicker, faster. I justify it. However, it goes against the quality of the product, the visual of the product, the cost of the product. So that's another perfect example of a symptom. We veer away from our training because we deem our own personal, which is part of the culture, is culture is giving to the chief, giving to the chief's vision. So, you know, we're more important than the chief at that point because we have a frontline or a leadership person in the tribe at the store level that are making decisions that aren't aligned with culture. So those those are two examples of some yeah. symptoms that you, but you, again, you have to be there. You have to be focused on it to make sure that you're seeing these things. That's the key is yeah. when, when, when leaders, when elders go into the tribe or, or is it top of mind or do they have their own agenda or something else that is more important other than culture? So that's, right. I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, I think it does. It, you know what i guess so how do you get it could be any set of ideas right that are important to the chief right he has you say you called them nouns and things like loyalty right innovation might be one right um so you have the nouns and you have this ability where or this requirement where you have to get everybody thinking about the nouns right and right. thinking about how they face or embody those nouns in what they do every day and so it becomes a purpose to every step a reason a why behind why we do what we do and there shouldn't be conflicts right with a lot of the folks that you know so if my boss tells me to do something then it should align with what his boss is saying or the boss's boss above him so i got you there so and it and i i do see it myself when there's not that clarity right with these things then people sort of invent what is okay and as long as everybody goes along with it then that's how we do it Um, and sometimes rob i say that they'll make up their own story that they think fits in your book yeah right exactly (laughs) so so tell me a little bit about technology because you know you know that i'm involved with technology and a lot of marketing is involved obviously it's very technical um there's a lot of things we do that have been impacted by the internet and things related to it, technologies related to it. Um, now we have AI, you know, we're hearing about that the last year or so where it's more prevalent and more tools, everyday tools are being released for people to utilize this new capability. Um, but yet there's still a lot of people that don't think about technology much and uh, don't really, it's not a big part of their job or maybe it is, but they're kind of, what they need so to speak you have to use this that way and that'd be that 
But with the way technology has been moving, it, it's clear that people have to sort of adopt this attitude of learning, right? Saying, I, I'm going to figure out how I can be more valuable to my organization, to my boss, to myself. But in, in, this, in the culture we have, or culture of the world, the society we're in, it, it's, the speed of change will not wait for someone to get the proper training. Right? And so how do you install a culture that would be able to deal with this future change that we're all we're all going through it now where where things are happening much quicker and before you know it our competitors are doing something we're like how are they doing that their margins are changing because they're becoming more efficient some are embracing ai some aren't this is where we're headed so how do you have a culture that can withstand that sort of ability to change and yet keep the controls on the nouns right so that they don't right. forget about the important thing, but at the same time, we don't want to not leverage technology. So how do you balance that, I guess, so, and you know, uh, it, deal with that? It, it's interesting because over the last 20 years in, in leadership circles, you, you've heard of, of course, IQ, right? Um, you've heard of EQ. You know, how, how do you build an emotional quotient that allows you to be effective as a leader? But I don't think you hear a lot of talk about AQ, and AQ is adaptability. All right. What's your adaptability quotient? And you can deal, you can call it a change cycle. You can call it many things, but it's what, how are you as a leader and how is your tribe able to adapt? Okay. And that's where a lot of, a lot of cultures go, go to die is they can't adapt. So adaptability and in, in the book, I call it in, in exclusivity. So in exclusivity in a tribe is, is how do you diversify thought? But keep to your culture, and and if and if you bring people from the outside or items from the outside, AI is a perfect example from the outside, and they're not aligned with the culture. You have to exclude them from that, okay? Because the culture has to stay the culture, and you have to protect and guard the culture. So when you bring things in, you have to understand how those things help being included in the culture will help grow the culture, okay? So AI is a perfect example of that. Um, it, it's it's a difference. I can compare it to a difference between a musket from the 1700s to the rifles that we have today and, and all the advances and stuff. The purpose of it is still to shoot something, whether it's, you know, dinner or whether it's an enemy. It's still to shoot something. So you have to be adaptable to what that tool is going to do for you. Um, AI can be a tremendous tool to help you with your culture. It is not something that's going to save your culture. It's not something that is going to, to create your culture. It can be something that potentially could destroy your culture because you don't adapt it in and you don't align it to the culture and see the benefits of it. Okay. An axe can chop down wood and you can have a fire to keep you warm. And ask can also murder you. So, so that tool is important. So, you know, it, it is really important um, to make sure that you're using AI for all the benefits you could see. In the hospitality industry, AI is going to play a big part of the consumer being the order taker. 30% of what you produce in the food industry in the restaurant industry deals with the money it takes to just to produce that order, just to, to get that order in. Okay. So if you, you eliminate that by do, having the guests do that instead of an order taker, a waiter, a bartender, whatever it might be, you reduce your labor. You put the guests in, in, in charge of the order taking, which usually is more effective and more accurate. Okay. And then, AI can help with suggestive selling, the algorithms that go along with this is what Rob likes, this is what he's geared towards. All of those things can be a tremendous benefit, okay? But there's a guest expectation of what their experience needs to be to become loyal. And if and if you sit there and go, oh, AI, I'm just going to throw this all at the hands of AI in the lap of AI, you may not be hitting that guest experience level that makes them want to come back. They won't. They won't be unhappy with you, but they're not going to brag about you. You're not going to get. You're not going to get that valuable marketing that says word of mouth. You know the intent to recommend. So you got to make sure that AI 
can help you with that. And you can't put it all on AI. You can't sit there and think that AI is the savior, okay? Um, and, and over the years, we went from a horse drawing a plow to big combines. Well, guess what? That's terrific. But if the soil is not right, the seeds aren't right, the fertilizer isn't right, the timing isn't right, doesn't matter that you can now plow 100 times more fields if you're producing 100 times less fruit or less quality fruit that the consumer doesn't want. So so it's AI is AI's a great thing coming. You know, it's technology. We, as we advance as a society, we're always going to have really smart minds, inventive, creative minds that believe yeah. that what they're creating and inventing can help society, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in, in food, whether it's in industry. You got to be able to make sure that those things are aligned to your culture and can help your culture grow and expand and develop um, and, and keep it keep it safe. And if you yeah, don't, yeah. if you don't, then two things happen. Number one, you bring it in, you don't safeguard it, and it it implodes. Okay. Or number two, you don't stay current, and you don't become what I call very important traditionally relevant. You have to hold on to your culture, your history, your culture, but you got to stay you got to stay relevant with today's marketplace. And if you don't do that, then people pass you up. You become obsolete, or you become dinosaurs in whatever industry you're in. And, and yeah. the landscape is littered, and you know, you could probably list five of them right. of things, you know, businesses that aren't around anymore because they didn't morph into the next important, they didn't stay traditionally relevant. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think AI will definitely accelerate the need uh, for clarity around culture because the AI itself is part of the culture and part of the personality of the culture and may interact with customers quite a bit. You never know, like where we're going with a lot of these things. So I hope one of the things that I hope it does is I hope it allows people to to speed up the learning curve. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, it also allows coaches, okay, elders, senior coaches in the tribe to really spend more time because we now have some time available because the technology and AI has helped us to really continue to develop our tribe and coach our tribe on the culture part of the tribe because we now have time available because this is what technology and AI has helped us do. It helps us speed up training processes and systems and allows us the ability to spend more time talking to the, the tribe about culture and how, how to continue to grow and build the tribe based on culture. And live it out, right? Act it out. Have a relationship. I mean, exactly. that's that's what's lacking really in the world. I would say, just as an older person that's been doing this a little while, you know, like it, it's lacking. We we've so focused on performance and results that we, I mean, we say relationships are always the most important thing, but it's like what you said. Most people look at it and say, "Yeah, you, you talk about these these principles on the wall there, but no one around here does that," you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a lot of it is just the pressure of performance, the pressure we all have to step up and do what we have to do. And I think some of that is good, but the pendulum always swings a little too far sometimes. But I think AI is definitely a, an opportunity for people to zero in more on relationships and, you know, really living it, you know, spending the extra time because, you, yeah, it will be amazing how much busy work and strategic work it takes time that AI helps do. Yeah. And so it's it, it's both sides. It's it's the top of the food chain and the bottom of the food chain. AI works on both sides, and um, and it, it it'll be interesting to see how we adopt it. I wanted to see what your thoughts were, but I think culture is going to be key. And and yes, I do think it'll be amazing that we can all spend more time uh, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so so with if I'm a franchise prospect, right? I'm out there. I'm wondering about franchising, and obviously this is what instead of they expand through ownership and uh, it's the American dream, fantastic industry. I know that's why you and I are here because we really believe in it. Um, do you think companies, and you've worked with quite a few um, and, and both sides were maybe not much of a culture really that's identified or lived out and one where it's like, yeah, this is really top notch stuff. Like this is like, you feel it almost when you walk into the, to the building. Um, 
what's the difference when when a, a person is looking at a franchise opportunity or from that outside in do they do you, what what do you think is transferred between a company that has an amazing culture and a company that does not what does the prospect feel what are examples that they might and, and it's hard to even put your finger on it but is there examples like that that you I, could I, point to that say yeah, I think I can, you know, it's simplicity, I, I, I can sum it up, what I believe is the key word, and that is trust, okay? And what I mean by that is if I'm, a, if I'm, I want to, I want to get into the franchise world, I want to become a franchisee, okay? So I have my, uh, I, I sum it up as, I, you know, it's like running a home business in an apartment complex. So I get to run my business as, you know, as, as the franchisee, but I'm running it inside a, a, a an apartment complex or a subdivision with homeowners, HOA things, right? So I got to abide by their rules and their regulations and, and things like that. So number one is a franchisee. I don't care what product it is. Do you love the product? Okay. And number two, do you as a chief, the franchisee, you are going to be the chief of your tribe. You know, do you have that? Do you have the culture that you want? understood because if you don't do that okay you're going to be talking with people whose purpose is to get lots of money from you as a franchisor you know they're gonna there's franchise fees there's development fees there's royalties there's all kind their goal is to sell you a product you have to understand that right so do i trust myself in regards to what I want as a culture for my organization as a potential franchisee. And is that aligned with the franchisor? Because in the world of franchising, that is one, and you you know this, you know, we have a great uh, a friend and cohort, Rick, you know, Rick Grossman, who deals with the Franchise Bible Coach. He sees this all the time, that the breakdown in communication, the breakdown in franchisee, franchisor relationships usually deal with trust and communication but it starts with trust. So do I know what I want as the chief becoming a franchisee? Is it aligned with what they do? And the only way to understand that is not going to a website and reading about it, because if they have any kind of, you know, uh, sophistication, they've got a great website. Um, and they've done their homework. Okay. Um, but what do I see? So do I do you not only does the franchisor need to vet you and that'll tell you a lot about them, too, because if they don't do a great job vetting you, they're going to create their own problems. But are you doing a great job vetting them? Can you go into their franchise, their one of their franchisees workplaces, whether it's dog grooming, uh, men's health, uh, restaurants? Can you go in and, and observe them and see what they see? Can you talk to them? Okay, an example would be, hey, Rob, you are a franchisee of da-da-da. You have 17 units. You know, tell me tell me three wins and three, I call them wells and betters. Rob, tell me three wells. What do they really do well as a franchisor? And then what do they need to do better? And and can, can you share that with me? And, and you develop, if you do it a couple of times, you develop a consistency pattern that says, okay, there's some trust there. What they say they're going to do as a franchisor, they actually do. And what they need to get better at is not important in regards to how it aligns to what, what I want with culture. So I can live with that, right? I can accept that, okay? Yeah. So so those are the key things. And and those are the, the organizations that do that are, are, are successful organizations. The organizations that don't do that, okay, they they have trouble with communication. Um, they have trouble with follow through on communication. Uh, they have trouble with how they receive feedback in the franchisee community. All right, um, and and then they have trouble with pushback in the franchisee community. So you know, are you just are you just you know disgruntled children that we need to placate? and get on to the next next subject that we want as a franchisor or are we listening to you to make sure that the pitfalls that you're seeing at the at the front line those are the battle lines in the field of of of, of you know working in, in the competitive landscape 
Are these important to where we are taking them, going back, making tweaks to get better? Um, and, and those are the, the key things. So it deals with trust. It deals with, can I trust you to, I mean, you're going to give me 150 pages of a UFD or a franchise sales agreement, and they're all written by you, the franchisor, to protect you. I get that. But are you going to say what you, are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Can I trust you? And, 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 and when there are moments that, that aren't trustable, are you going to ha- be able and willing to have that conversation with me? Or are you just going to, and I've seen this happen. I've seen this where it's in your, you, it's in, it's in your, your franchise sales agreement or it's in your UFDD. It's in, you know, the, they'll, they'll use a, a, a piece of paper, a legal document to defend their decision as opposed to understanding how important the relationship is and working on not compromise, but better ways to do things. How can we work together? to come up with a different idea to make this better versus a, a, an adversarial or win-lose agreement based on a piece of paper. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I think if it's clear, like, so good culture means you're going to feel sort of it's trustworthy. You know, you're yeah. going to get that sense that that's their personality, but it's trustworthy. And, you know, granted, it may not be your culture, right? It may not be your thing, yeah. but it would be clear. And that's that's good advice for anyone thinking about uh, getting involved with a brand before we wrap things up is there um you know with the with the trends what they are some of the things you're seeing in the franchise industry today and some of the things just globally happening we talked about ai is there one thing that you would share with a chief that says you know hey you, you really ought to be paying attention to this one thing um, especially for those that don't have a strong culture right now. If they've already focused on it and know about it and, and they, they they have that language, maybe not for them. those that would question, I don't know if my culture is very clear. What would your one piece of advice be? You know, in in the in the book, the book is broken into three three key factors. And in, in the first part of the book, chapter pillars one and two is based on joy. Um and, and the joy is the passion. Um, chapters three, four, and five are pillars three, four, and five deal with how do you bring that passion to life and connect with the tribe? And then passion six and seven, or pillar six and seven deals with how do you protect it long term? How do you sustain it and protect it? And, and that's, that's what I believe is, is really important. Um, the integrity behind, you know, the integrity behind the passion, you know, passion is all about pleasure and pain. Okay, you know what brings you joy? What brings you makes you smile? Gives you those feelings of warmth. Um, and then when they're not there, when there are when it's broken, how do you react to it? How do you hold people accountable, including yourself as the chief? And then how do you sustain that long term? Okay, how do you protect it? So so that deals with one word that ties into trust, and that is what's the integrity? What's the key? How how important is integrity? And and you, the chief, okay? Are you from a culture standpoint? It starts with you, the chief, and is there integrity behind it? When when there are tough decisions to be made, you know, I I, I always say there's two ways to go with with decisions. If you have a really good culture statement, in other words, something that you, the chief, hold passion and pain behind. In other words, you're going to protect us then decisions aren't tough decisions. They're easy to t- decision. They will cause tough actions. You will have to take tough actions, okay? Uh, you may have to let go of a friend you, that you've developed a relationship with. You may have to let go of a vendor that's been important, but that just isn't working anymore. That decision should be easy. You may have to do some homework in regards to your actions, okay? So tough actions. The other flip side of that is what leads to what I believe is um, culture conflict and can really fray the culture. And that is, I'm going to make decisions based on, it's going to be a tough decision because part of what's going to make it a tough decision is what's the least amount of damage? What's the easier path to take? Okay. And, and those things have short-term wins and long-term detriments um, because you you're you're not protecting the culture. Okay. You're appeasing, okay, 
the amount of actions that it takes because I, I I don't want it to I don't want it to cause this much damage or I don't want it I don't want it to I don't want to have to work this hard or I don't want it to to have to have seven or eight process steps behind it. So I either make easy decisions because I have a great culture that I want to protect and grow, and I'm I'm willing to take whatever tough actions it takes to make sure that that happens because the decisions is I don't have to lose sleep over it. Okay. The decision's easy, okay? Or I lost a lot of sleep over this because it's a tough decision. Well, why is it a tough decision? Is it because the amount of actions that it's going to take? And that may be costly. That may be hurtful. That may be painful to what extent. So those are the things that I look at is, is the chief able to make, you can call it a decision tree, but how does that decision tree start and how does it flow? Is it an easy decision that could cause tough actions, but it is the right thing to do to to protect the culture? Or is it a tough decision because of all the hardship that it's going to cause? Okay, so I make that, I make a tough decision based on least amount of damage but in doing that, that damage directly flings arrows at the culture and doesn't protect the trap. So those are that's the key that I would say is, you know, and I I I had this discussion. It's interesting, Rob, that you 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 talk about this. I had this discussion last night with a with a client with a client, a good a good friend, a good customer, and and he's the chief. He owns his own franchisee. He is a franchisee. Owns his own franchise. And we were talking about the direction that he was thinking about and his he had two choices and the choice was an easy easy decision that causes tough action or a tough decision that causes easy easy easier actions and and at the end of the day he goes i can't be a part-time chief can i in other words i can't sit there and have my own franchise but yet work in another company because of income levels and I'm, you know, so I want a safety net. And it, and I said, I, I don't know of any chiefs that are part-time chiefs that have a great culture. If you, if you find one, let me know. But f- for your culture and your company, whether you have six employees or 60 employees, their chief needs to be totally committed. And they need to understand that their chief is totally committed. So it's your decision how you want to do this. But the right, the, the easy decision is to become a full-time chief and make sure you're going to have to really work hard to, to gain market share to offset a little bit of income. Okay. Or keep doing the dual income thing, but it's going to take you way longer. And what messages are you sending to the current eight employees you have that if you had 16 employees, you'd be way ahead of the game. And the reason you'd have 16 employees because your revenue stream would be 50% more. So it's just, it's just, again, that, that's a perfect example. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think well, it's being the example, right? And in in more ways than one, living out the example that you want others to embrace. And I think it's so important not to make those decisions that send the wrong signals uh, to your to your team. So uh, it's been great having you on the show, uh, Bob. Uh, is can you remind us of your website address so people want to reach out and learn more? Uh, yeah. So our, it's real. It's easy. It's www C, the number two, and then C, and then the word consultant. So www.c2cconsultant.com. Um, you'll, you'll see all about C2C Consulting. We do more than just culture to cash. Culture to cash is our main program, but we help other, you know, I get from, from process flow to PL management to revenue streams to site location. Man, we do it. We do a lot of work, uh, a lot of good things. And then, um, we also have some really great, uh, what we call value packages for chiefs for 2024. We have a great 2024 and 4048 promotion that we're running right now that, that helps us help you invest in the tribe and get you on the right track. Uh, we also have a, what we call a culture checkup. Um, it's a one week program where, where um, I or one of my certified coaches can come into your your team and uh, we look at three things that the chief wants us to look at, whether it's how do we recruit people, how do we how do we um, train people, how do we set up um, uh, onboarding, how do we set up 
performance reviews, uh, profit sharing. So it, it's based on nine potentially disciplines. The chief gets to pick three of them and we come in and say, okay, we just, we perform a, a, a quick checkup and, and go through the eat process. Would I eliminate this? Would I accept this or would I tweak this and, and give them an understanding and a, a, an idea of how culture to cash works. So, um, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's one week. Um, our culture conflict is, is almost, is almost two weeks because we really, it's a tremendous autopsy of your, of your tribe and of your organization. So, um, so you can go to the website. Learn all about that. I also work at, I'm going to share this with you, with you, Rob, and, and everybody that listens. I work with a gentleman named Justin Williams, who has a company called Culture to Connect Recruiting. We work hand in hand together because we understand the people side of this business is critical. So he and I have worked on helping people understand how do you recruit for cultural fits first? You, you can teach and skills. But are you hiring people that are culturally aligned with you? So Justin and I work hand to hand together. Uh, he has a website called Culture to Connect, uh, which is available. So we have, we have a, a shared, uh, uh, shared value program for both of us with, with great values. And I, um, it just takes a free phone call. We offer a free consultation with a half hour to an hour long with the chief. Um, you can set it up through our website and we can talk about how we can help you really either develop implement, execute, tweak to grow your culture and have it really bring pros uh, prosperity to your tribe. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think I, I would take you up on it. I mean, as I say to most people, uh, most of my guests that, that are on uh, offer, uh, if you if you offer a website or a way for them to reach out to you, it's a, it's a no-brainer, right? It, it's sure. a great opportunity to learn. And culture is key. It's just, again, one of those drivers of, of success and growth. And, and it's what it allows you to build the kind of business you want it to be, right? You want the people to exactly. be an extension of you. And you can't do it if you don't define it and understand it. So I think this is a great first step is to reach out to you, Bob. So anyway, great. thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate your time and hope to have you back again soon. 